0: Welcome everybody to A Locking Your Success, Successful Trader of the Month for August 2016. Before we get going, we would like to remind you that this presentation is for educational purposes only. We are not broker dealers or financial advisors and we're not making any specific trade recommendations. Also, please be aware that the risk in uh, options is substantial, and be sure you are aware of all your risks prior to placing any trades. Also, assume that we are using hypothetical computer-simulated trades unless otherwise uh, stated. Uh, either way, uh, you have to be aware that hypothetical computer-similar trades will uh, sometimes be different than live trades, so please just be aware of that for, uh, for various reasons. Okay, so we have a Successful Trader of the Month this month. Let me quickly just tell you about that. Successful brand that Sherry and I came up with to reward and honor those traders who've put in the work and as a result are doing awesome with their trading. They receive the prestigious Lock in Your success Successful Options Trader hat, and a place forever on our wall of fame. Successful Trader of the Month is also for the aspiring trader and for you as well because by having those successful traders share their experience with you, you'll gain useful insight and become inspired by knowing that it can be done and that there are many different paths to do so. A trader can qualify for Successful Trader of the Month in several ways. One way is to provide a trading plan and a recent trade that we evaluate. Second would be to stand out by helping in the community might be by sharing useful information or providing guidance or encouragement for people. Third might be as if I notice someone who breaks through a significant barrier or overcomes a challenge. And fourth would be probably for something like creativeness. In other words, someone who successfully adapted their trading and unique personality, whether it be through one of my styles or something completely on their own, which would even be better. Today we are speaking with Tim Pearson and Tim, Tim has attended, let's see, several of our programs, such as APM Squared Trading Triangle in Maui. And he was chosen because he's broken through the barrier of understanding the market and is now trading as his primary source of income. He's been able to push through those tough times, which inevitably come in any part of life that they we're successful in. And he continues to trade successfully. And he's been great about sharing his experience with others as well. So that said, good afternoon, Tim. Hello, John. (laughs) (laughs) Tell us a little bit about yourself and and how you came to be a trader.
1: Okay, well, you know, I I have a PowerPoint. I I guess I'm going to tell you my life story of how I became a trader.
0: (laughs) All right, that's great. So tell us about your journey and your experience and and how we can help other people.
1: (laughs) Okay, well, uh, thanks for having me on. And uh, I start uh, way in the back and I noted that uh, on a nice day in 1958 the Dow Jones Industrial Average was at 451. Can you imagine that? (laughs) Wow! (laughs) That's when I came onto the scene and I noticed that a year later when I was one it was 609, had been up 35 percent. I also noticed that uh, there'd been some kind of a pandemic in 1957 But the point is, you know, when I came along is when the market turned around and uh, it was a foreshadow of things to come. I was born in Seattle, Uh, lived here all my life, and uh, contrary to popular belief, it does not rain here all the time. But it is gray quite a bit of the time, I'll admit that much. I've had a couple of careers I used to be a clinical microbiologist and then I changed into being a software engineer and that's that was the bulk of my career for about 30 years and then I retired in 2012 and started trading full-time I'll tell you the story about that I did work for Microsoft Uh, it's a very good place to work and one of the cool things is they don't care when you do your work or how you do it as long as you get it done so if you like to work in the middle of the night and uh, sleep in late in the mornings and not go to work, that's fine as long as you get your work done. Uh, One of the unique things about Microsoft I really enjoyed. I am a commercial-rated glider pilot. I had a job as a pilot giving rides uh, in gliders near here uh, for a few years, and uh, even now, as you can see in the picture, I fly these radio-controlled gliders. Uh, That's a picture of my most recent glider that I brought online a couple months ago, and it flies great. I love it. Wow, that thing's huge! It's huge. It's about ten foot wingspan. It weighs about three pounds, and it flies great. Um, That's super. Now, here, John, I wanted to start. I want to ask you, what were you doing when you were in high school? I Anything wasn't in like high this? school
0: in nineteen seventy six. So, <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> but
0: uh, but yeah, I was I was fooling with cars when I was probably in nineteen seventy six. But I was only about nine years old, so.
1: Oh, okay. All right. Well, uh, that's when I graduated from high school, and I actually had a a bright blue 67 Camaro like this one. Not quite as fixed up as this one was, but um, being a kid, I tried to race it on the street. I tried to build it up, make a hot rod out of it, and failed at just about all of that. But um, it was a beautiful car, and I wish I sure still had it.
0: Yeah, those are beautiful cars. I used to love fooling around with those.
1: Anyway, the reality of what I did was I would go to the library and I'd look up books on futures trading. And Stanley Kroll was popular at the time and uh, he had a sailboat and apparently he made a lot of money trading futures and I was inspired by that. So um, I was much more boring than racing cars and and, uh, being popular in high school. (laughs) Indeed. The other thing about me is in high school I was a computer nerd and in 76 computers were just starting to hit the scene this is what we use, a teletype machine with a paper tape reader. And uh, I spent all my time in front of a machine like this, typing in code in BASIC.
0: Wow, that's incredible. we, we uh, I, I don't even remember ever even hearing about a computer until I was like uh, 1984, 1985. <laughs> Time frame. Yeah.
1: Well, this was the era of mainframes, and this was one of the ways you could communicate with mainframes. But uh, microcomputers had not quite hit the mark yet. They're just about to hit. But it was a memorable epoch in my life, and so I put this up. And you notice down here in the corner, if you can see my, there's a telephone dial pad here. It's built right so up. That was so you could dial up the modem and uh, connect to a computer.
0: <laughs> nice. It's amazing how far we've come in such a short period of time.
1: Oh, man, it's amazing, yeah. This picture is, um, the guy standing in the background could have been me and I did that in high school, Uh, but unfortunately that's Paul Allen and Bill Gates, and uh, this is a famous picture. They were using the same machine about the same time, a little bit before me, and it could have been me. (laughs) But we took different (laughs) paths. (laughs) That's Okay. (laughs) In high school, I was, it's also when calculators hit the screen, and I bought a HP programmable calculators, a few of them, and I spent all my time in class, like history class, playing with my calculator and learning how to program them, and I get kicked out of history class all the time, and I still remember that very well, and I had to argue with them about what was better, learning history or learning something practical like programming calculators. (laughs) He didn't agree with me, and he kicked me out, and I had to go see the principal all the time. But... This primed the pump for my options trading because one of the calculators had a module you could plug into it that came with uh, all kinds of securities analysis, including the Black-Scholes options model. And I was fascinated by that, and I spent hours uh, playing with the Black-Scholes model and how it would calculate options prices, and I couldn't believe that there would actually be a mathematical basis for pricing of options. That kind of primed the pump, and it turns out I still collect HP calculators, and I have a whole last display case full of them in my living room that uh, my wife wishes wasn't there, but they're my collection.
0: Well, that's fantastic.
1: Um, yeah. So um, also what started investing is the credit unions at the time, if you deposited money, they would give you things like toasters. And I think this credit union had a deal that if you deposited $500, you could get a toaster. But more importantly, interest rates were f- something like 6% just for a credit union account then. And I realized that if I deposited five hundred or a thousand dollars, I might make enough money in a year to pay for tuition on my college. And tuition then was about fifty dollars a quarter. <laughs> and I thought, this is great! I can go to college for free. So I worked really hard, saved money, and uh, made the deposits.
0: Wow, fifty dollars a quarter! I can't imagine that.
1: Yeah, can't do anything for
0: fifty dollars yeah.
1: nowadays. You can't buy anything for that. Uh, I did not actually get a toaster because I did it over two or three deposits over a month, and I said, no, you have to do it all at once, so I didn't get a toaster. Fast forward for a while. I studied microbiology in college. I should have studied computer science and mathematics and investing, but uh, I got my degree in micro, and I worked as a clinical microbiologist for about five years. This picture shows you exactly how we did it. We'd, we'd, put, we'd grow bacteria on the petri dish. We'd put these little white discs out there of uh, antibiotics to find out what Antibiotics would kill the bacteria, and now it's done differently, but that's what I spent all my time doing, this kind of thing in the early '80s. And it got me into uh, there was a laboratory company called International Clinical Labs, and they were public, and I looked at them and I said, "I'm going to buy stock in that." So I bought it. My broker said, "No, that's terrible. don't buy it." But I didn't listen to them. And I went and visited the lab, they showed me around, and all I was interested was seeing their computer and how they ran their business. But anyway, it turns out after about, I think, only a couple weeks, I made about $700 on that stock, and the broker was totally amazed that I had picked my own and <laughs> didn't listen to her. I didn't work with the broker very much longer after that. That was I have been on my own ever since. Oh, cool. About this same time, uh, you couldn't get quotes. There was no Internet. Uh, you had to call your broker, and I had this idea that I'd get the paper where they printed all the stock quotes, scan them in with an optical scanner into a database and then be able to analyze stocks. And I think that was an idea way before it's time. Uh, There's no way to get free quotes, but I never made it work, and um, that kind of fell by the wayside. But I was still thinking about how to do quotes and options and stocks at that time. Now we'll move forward a little bit. I decided to go back to school, get a degree in business, and uh, (laughs) these are some of the very exciting books that I had to go through to uh, get my business degree. (laughs) Investment analysis and portfolio management, How uh, you can only get drier than that by reading a book on accounting, financial accounting. But uh, it was a good time and I, I went to business school for the express reason to learn how to analyze companies so I could trade stocks better. Oh, wow. I wasn't trying to get a better job, I wasn't trying to make more money, that was the whole idea I went to business school for and it turned out to uh, be pretty, uh, it turned out to work. So Epoch 3 is when I got out of business school and this is the picture of my thesis paper and I spent I wrote my whole thesis about stock analysis and came up with a unique way at the time I thought to analyze stocks and decide if you should buy or sell them based on technical analysis and it was based on moving averages Um, I wrote computer software to analyze 10 or 20,000 different possible moving averages for a stock and find out which ones work best for which stocks that paper got me my degree and it, sh- it showed promise. Uh, I had f- every intention of trading stocks that way, but life got in the way and I never actually followed up on it after I graduated. Interesting.
0: Yeah, but uh, you, were really, you were really into this since uh, since you were a young kid though, huh? This, this shows that
1: for sure. All the way, yeah, my whole life. Hmm?
0: Wow, that's fantastic.
1: So I got out of school in 87, summer of 87, I got MetaStock. This is uh, MetaStock Professional, 1987 version. <laughs> it's completely different now. But um, it was the best tool to use at the time to do uh, further analysis. And in here, I studied every technical indicator they had because I thought it was the golden rule or held the answer to all my stock desires. You, know, you, you just have to find the right indicator, and you're good to go. Turns out well, that's
0: right, not right how you were still, direction still directional at that point, right? Trying to, trying to find the magic uh, system that's going to show you, predict what's going to make the market go up.
1: That was directional trading, yes. And um, in business school, we studied surface volatility profiles and capital asset pricing models and all these things. And all of that convinced me that you can't trade directional. It's too speculative and it just doesn't work. Instead, I became to be a big believer in random market theory, you know, that the market moves randomly and once in a while it goes to a new setting point and then it moves randomly around that. And I still believe that to this day and I still trade based on that in all of my trading, I do no technical analysis at all.
0: Okay, that's super.
1: So I picked up this book one day in the bookstore, and this turns out to be the Bible of options trading, and Lawrence McMillan wrote this in, I don't know, the 80s maybe, I don't know when his first, first yeah, edition that, came out. That,
0: he's still around too.
1: <laughs> he is, and he's still active, yes. Yeah. I, I devoured this book in no time flat. This was the best book I ever bought. Uh, it primed my options trading it's it's very good teaching book Uh, even now what he has in there is is a good way to start to learn options and I recommend this book or the newer version of it but I used a twenty dollar bill as a bookmark (laughs) and I learned all about uh, things like iron condors which he kinda called combo trades and other things but um, this got me started so in late summer 1987 I started trading options and you remember what happened in October 87. Black Monday?
0: Ah, oh yeah.
1: <laughs> you know 508 point drop in the Dow Jones in one day. Well, right. I had positions on. Center's
0: percentage point is absolutely insane, right?
1: That's insane. That would be the Dow Jones was something like a thousand at the time. I mean, that was almost a 50% drop. I, it was huge. Right. Wow. I had options, positions on that day and I actually made money on them because they were basically iron condors with put protection and uh, I learned that from this book and if I remember right, I made about $2,000 on Pepsi that day because it dropped so much.
0: And that was a lot of money in 1987.
1: Yes, it was and also for a kid just out of school. (laughs) So I guess you could say I got hooked on options after that. I also would point out I was trading with Charles Schwab and you... There was no online trading, there was no quotes, you had to call the broker all the time and they charged a lot in commissions. Schwab had something called Telebroker which was an automated machine you could punch in all your numbers and make your trades that way. It took a long time to put a trade on but you could do it but I remember commissions for putting on something like an iron condor were like $45 for one lot iron condor. I mean, yeah, we complain well, about commissions these days. You should remember how it used to be. It was really bad.
0: Yeah, yeah. I you know. You see that in a lot of <laughs> in, in a lot of um, industries as well. But uh, the prices really come down. Imagine having to pay forty-five dollars to get into a trade. That's a, that's a lot a small trade, right?
1: Yeah, a small trade. You know, even today, I still trade with Schwab. Um, my commission rate is um, very good. Uh, it's, it's long lines of ThinkOrSwim and some of the other rates that we get. Nice. Okay. Move forward a little bit more, um, Epoch 5, I call it. I bought this book, and I, I don't recommend this book, but I did want to talk about it for a minute. This, what this author did was he said, how to win on better than 9 out of 10 trains with extremely low risk. Well, what he was talking about was iron condors with the shorts, uh, two standard deviations out of the money. We all know that now. We all know what iron condors are. He didn't say anything about Delta or the Greeks. Uh, I don't think it's even mentioned in the book. It was all about standard deviation uh, and the st- statistics of winning 90% with a 2 standard deviation trade. But he also had five-point wide spreads, and he did not recommend adjusting them or, or very little adjustments. And if, if it hit the short strike, then roll that spread down and leave the other one. I mean, th- these are all things that we know kind of not to do. But but because that, that,
0: this, that that's not extremely low risk
1: right <laughs> that's not extremely low risk by the time it hit's a strike you're you're in big trouble <laughs> hmm. <laughs> but I traded based on this I traded iron condors on SPX for seven or eight years all through the 90s I used to do nothing to them and let them go to expiration and I had and it's a wonder I didn't get my head handed to me um, but I think over overall I made some money and I had some profitability but I did want to I did want to point out one thing in this book there are some good nuggets in here and I'm gonna I'm gonna read you one brief thing he, ta- he says in here in the chapter called how to get started trading options mm-hmm. the secret to successful option trading is to select a particular option and specialize become an expert in your selected option market that's sage advice for such an early time in options trading and I think that's something we don't realize that you should do. It,
0: re- it really is. And yeah, I, I think we've, uh, I mean, I push that all the time. There's way too much information out there, and most people get kind of caught up in doing 35 different things instead of just mastering one thing and being profitable. So, Yes. Very good advice.
1: Uh, if there's any one thing that can turn around your options trading is to quit trying everything and focus on one thing or maybe two. Mm-hmm. Best advice I can give you. Okay, I need to mention this because it's important as well. Um, I founded a company called the Jonathan May Corporation, and it turns out that is my middle name and my fiancé's middle name at the time. And we got married shortly after that. Um, I worked at Scott Paper Company as a consultant um, helping make t- uh, toilet paper. I, I spent eight years helping to make toilet paper. <laughs> <laughs> we all need it. Yeah. It's, it's something, it's like, uh, what do they call it, consumer staples, you know. It'll never, the market will never crash for toilet paper. And right. it's a little picture of one of the paper machines. It's, it's not the one we had, but it's, these machines were huge, and it was a lot of fun working there. My wife uh, also was, began doing work independently as a communication skills teacher, and she did that through SoftTech as well. And SoftTech exists to this day. It is primarily an options trading company, and it's my corporation uh, that I I work for as a trader, as well as own it. Nice. Having a corporation has helped me out quite a bit, so when I go on trips or to seminars, it's all deductible expenses because of the way I have this corporation organized, and that, that's come in really handy, too.
0: That's fantastic, and you don't have to necessarily have trader status. You can you can write things off other ways, which which is why I like having a company as
1: well. That's true you do not need trader status when you have a corporation because it has it by default that's that's how it works when you're a corporation
0: yeah Yeah. and we're not giving tax advice we're just saying (laughs) yeah Yeah.
1: okay let's fast forward to 2009 is when i decided to really go for options trading I'd been trading Condors and a few other covered calls and things uh, all through the years, but I decided it was time to really get going. I was working at Microsoft. Um, I didn't want to work anymore. I wanted to do this. So I went full blast into turning into a full-time trader. Now, this is a picture of some of the books that I read. (laughs) And uh, again, I'll say most of the books out there aren't going to help you very much, and especially some of these. You know, options books. I don't know if you can see my mouse. Here's one. The new options secret, right? It's like, oh, if I read this book, I'm going to be a successful trader. You can pretty much forget that. Right. <laughs> the next slide, however, is some of the books that I read at the time that I do recommend that are full of content and I believe help quite a bit. And here's, here's McMillan's book again. The new version is, is three times thicker than it was. <laughs> it's full of all kinds of things that, that you don't need, but it's chock full of great knowledge and information to help you become an options trader
0: nice
1: uh, he wrote a few other books McMillan options profit with options here's here's a famous one option volatility and pricing i recommend you read that book and i recommend you read it about five times because you won't understand it the first time <laughs> um, I point out this one over here by Mandelbrot, uh, the misbehavior of markets. He's pretty much talking about the random walk uh, nature of markets. He's the guy that got famous for fractals. I don't know if you remember fractals and all those beautiful pictures of fractals you see. He's the guy that pretty much got famous for that. He believes the market is fractal, and uh, this is a good book to read.
0: I've read some of those, but not not all of them. I have to take a look at some of those. Yes.
1: Yeah. So also at this time, I went and joined Sheridan Options Mentoring uh, and got mentoring from actually Seth Freudberg who runs SMB Options Desk now. He was my mentor back in 2009 when he worked for Sheridan. Wow. Um, I feel that mentoring was one of the best things that I ever did. I do recommend that for anybody. There's a number of ways to get mentoring. It um, doesn't have to be Sheridan. There's a number of places out there now. But... Um, to go it on your own, even if you read every book you can read, you need someone there to guide you and give you practical advice. Highly recommended.
0: Yeah, I think everybody, a lot of people underestimate the importance of a coach. And I mean, if you look at any industry pretty much now, they all use coaches. Any, anything that's high-performing, whether it be sports or business or stuff like that. And Options is a high-performance sport, right? So uh, coaching yeah. is definitely very helpful.
1: And then, of course, if you don't do it, you're going to pay it anyway. You might as well pay it to coach and get something for the money. Otherwise, you're going to have a loss that'll be more. <laughs> indeed. <laughs> yeah. So I went through that in 2009, and I started trading uh, for my account in 2009 and 10 and 11 and 12, and I'll show you uh, some history of that. But let me finish the epochs in my trading. Forward to 2015, I went to your seminar, APM in Manchester, New Hampshire.
0: I think so. that's where I met you, isn't it, Tim? That's the first time I remember seeing you, anyway.
1: That is where I met you, but I knew about you since 2011, and I need to tell you a story about this. Um, Dave Thomas, as most of us know, is um, a friend of mine, and it turns out he lives about eight miles away from me. And I got to know him through Sheridan, because he went through Sheridan as well. And we went to coffee one morning in about 2010, late 2010, maybe 2011, and he goes, I want to tell you something. There's this guy, and all he does is he trades butterflies on the rut. And I'm like, what? You know, because at that time I was doing everything. I was trying every strategy, every trade, every vehicle, um, like we all try to do when we get into our options trading. He said, that's crazy. You can't do that. Turns out he was talking about you. <laughs> <laughs> and
0: You're in good company. Dan Chardon thought I was crazy too.
1: Yeah, well, <laughs> Okay anyway we talked about you that whole morning and uh, what you're doing and how he was going to work with you and I I started following along with M3 at that time and learning about it um, and it wasn't much longer than that that uh, I was I began trading the M3
0: mm-hmm.
1: and uh, that was one of the factors in my trading so now we'll get to some real meat here this is a graph of my actual trading results from July 2009 until December 2012 okay and can you see my mouse moving yes yeah okay well look at my results up down up trending down up down big loss big loss you know nothing is consistent and I bet if you average all this up neither was my profitability and it was probably not much above zero if you had all that stuff up and this went on for a couple years from two thousand nine to two thousand eleven. Now there was when I finished my mentoring, there was a tick up, and I had profitable for a while, and then I started, I think, doing things crazy. But what hap- if you go forward to here? What happened here going forward? Something happened right here. Look what look what happened. Profitability, consistency, increasing almost every month, no losses. Mm-hmm. Something happened right here. Well, I tell you what happened. Two things happened. That is the summer that I decided I was no longer going to try every strategy that came along. And, you know, we're all listening to webinars and YouTubes and um, WebExes and all the stuff we can find. And it goes, oh, the ABC strategy is great, I'm going to do that. And then the DEF strategy is great, I'll do that. And then, oh, yeah, you know, you can do Amazon and Google and Priceline and um, IBM. And I did that. (laughs) The summer of 2011 is when I quit that and I finally took your advice and I finally said I'm going to focus on the SPX and the Russell and I'm going to focus on butterflies and iron condors. And I quit almost all my stock trading and you can see it worked, Uh, that's when my trading turned around. Now what happened here on the second arrow in early 2012, that was my first M3 trade. After I've been talking to Dave Thomas for a while. I finally said I'm gonna try it sweet and look at the, that helped jumpstart my graph and so when I got to about September 2012 and I saw this graph that for a year about a year had been no losers been rising uh, That's when I decided that now I can quit my job and be a full-time trader and I quit the job about late October 2012 and never looked back so that's one of my advice to anybody that wants to be a full-time trader You have to track all your results, and you have to see consistency and rising profitability for at least six months, and I'd recommend even a year, before you quit your day job. You have to know that you can make this work consistently. Otherwise, I think you're taking too much risk by quitting your day job.
0: Yeah, yeah. there's a lot, of, a lot of things to consider before you quit your day, day job, and part of that is you know, it, sometimes you can get lucky and randomly have good results for a period of time just doing random different things, and, uh, and that's a recipe for disaster sometimes. So. Mm-hmm.
1: And I'm, I'm not talking much about it, but you also have to do some serious uh, capital planning. How much do you have in liquid investments? How much are you going to put in options? Uh, what is your contingency plan, uh, as you have recommended in uh, the trading triangle? seminar and others, that's critically important because if you don't have a solid financial plan when you quit your job, whether or not you make money trading options, you're still in a lot of trouble and taking too much risk.
0: Yeah, you are. If you don't have adequate finances, too, you have the psychological thing to deal with when things, when you get four or five months that aren't going so well, (laughs) you know, or maybe you didn't meet your expectations and then you start jumping around again because you you start to freak out. So uh, very important, good, good comment, Tim.
1: Now, I didn't show the rest of the graph. There is a couple of big losses in the rest of the graph, and they were caused by following somebody. I won't mention any names, but there, were, uh, there was some one particular person doing a service that I followed for a little while, and it turns out they were taking inordinate risk, and I lost something like $10,000 in the time it took me to drive home from Starbucks one morning. Uh, and that's when I decided nope, I will never follow anybody again. I'm always on my own. I can do this. I don't need to follow anybody. And that's good advice as well.
0: Yeah, I think that's fantastic advice. You know, one of the things is you immune to the risks that you're taking when you're following somebody, and you really don't know how that person is with risk. We've seen some, actually some fairly good mentors go out of business lately, or pretty much yeah. almost out of business, because uh, you know, just, they t- they've been taking on too much risk for years, and they finally got, they finally got whacked by it. So, very important yeah. to understand your risk.
1: Yeah. yeah. Okay, let's move on. Um, so, here is a summary of my M3 experience. Since 2011, I've made 117 M3 trades. And you might say, how did you do that if you do one a month? And the answer is I do it in four or five different accounts, so I count those all trades. Of those, I've had 87 winners and 28 losers. Two trades are currently open.
0: Nice track record. Right.
1: Of, of, if you just count the winners, my average is 5.26% return on actual capital used. I track the, the highest capital I use at any one time during the trade, um, and I call that actual capital. So you know, a planned capital might be 50,000, but actual maybe is 40 or 60 or something like that, so that's how I calculated that number. I have averaged 27 days in trade, over 117 trades, and I say I trade M3 conservatively. I want to talk about that for a second. I want out at 21 days <laughs> That's the first thing I do. Um, I want in at 56 or maybe a little more. Um, I will take lower returns so that I can get out early and I haven't always made it out at 21 days. I've gone down to 14 or maybe even 10 days, but I don't think I've ever gone later than about seven or eight days in the trade. I've never gone later than that. Now I'm not slamming that. I really admire the people who can do that and I wish I could and I'm, I'm planning to work on it, but, uh, currently I don't, the trade is done for me at 14 days or so. I'm out.
0: Hey, there's nothing wrong with that as long as it's working for you. So that's, that's, uh, that's like I said, that's a, a great, great, uh, great record doing that, and you just keep doing what works, right?
1: Yes. And um, I would probably have higher returns, or, or I expect more variable returns if I went further, but uh, this, this is what I'm still doing t- to this day. Now, I always tell everybody, do not trade options with more than about 20% of your, liquid net worth and I I follow that myself. So of all my options trading and all the accounts I do it in, only 20% of my liquid net worth is used for options trading. The rest is about probably 40-50% in cash at all times and maybe 40-50% in um, long-term income dividend strategy. I have some stocks, I have some ETFs uh, to try to get as much dividend as I can because eventually I hope to live off dividends
0: <laughs> there you go
1: <laughs> yeah. currently my allocation that I do I, 40% of my options trading capital is used for m3s 40% I'm doing the road trip which Dan Harvey is um, the captain of and mm-hmm. maybe 10% in cash secured puts curry calls I do this little four day to expiration iron condor once in a while and once in a while I do a naked put in SPX in a PM account that accounts for about 10% of my trading
0: Okay. Yeah, I mean it's occasionally selling those puts is a, the price is up and the markets you know it's down a lot. It's just a good opportunity to do that. So Yes. Nice.
1: And I just consider that um, you know, movie money, so you can go see the movies. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. Okay, um that is the end. I put this picture here because uh, you know, now I'm gonna take my trading to the stars. I'm going interstellar on my trading. That's the plan.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Where was this picture taken?
1: Uh, Actually, I didn't take it. I found it out there somewhere, but um, there's a place I go to will look at stars about 200 miles from here, and this is what it looks like. You can see the Milky Way like that with the naked eye. It's beautiful. It's just breathtakingly beautiful.
0: That's fantastic.
1: So going forward, what I'm doing now, uh, I have started being a mentor on Capital Discussions. Uh, I have six, no, I think I have five students active right now that I'm teaching Butterfly trading too, and oh, nice. I have just recently started trading as a trader on the S and B options trading desk. I'm very proud of that.
0: Yes, yes, congratulations.
1: <laughs> so, I'm uh, Seth Freyberg runs that desk, and uh, it's it's fun to be working with him again. He's a good guy.
0: Yeah, Seth is Seth is pretty awesome. So, uh, yeah, so uh, did you have some trades you're going to show us
1: too? Or? I do. Let me bring that up here. Okay. Fantastic. Uh,
0: So how did you, 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 Tim had some beautiful pictures of the stars for those people who like them up from, uh, you took up in Hawaii when we were up there.
1: Hawaii was the most beautiful star watching site I've ever seen. It was the highlight of the trip for me. (laughs)
0: That's (laughs) fantastic.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Okay, Um, this is an M3. This is an actual trade that I did, but I reproduced it in BackTrader. Opened on April 20th, 2016. I'm showing you this not because I want to show you a successful M3, but because I want to show you how I use weekly calls and talk about that a little bit and how I uh, roll down when you have to roll down. This trade worked out very well. There's any number of trades that work out very well, so that's not what I'm trying to show here. I'm just trying to show how I managed it. Sure. Ten lot M3 centered at 1100 when the Russell was at 1144. Nothing, nothing unusual there. Um, I almost always use weekly calls now. And I'm looking for a call with very little time premium, maybe one to two weeks out to open with, and I like the Delta being way up here. And the, the, these two things will go hand in hand. No time premium and Delta will go hand in hand. So usually I'll select a call with 97 to 99 Delta. thing to note is that if you did it in the month you did uh, the butterfly in, and a lower delta call might cost about the same, and if you went up to a equal delta call, it's going to cost a lot more, thousands of dollars more. So weekly calls can save you a lot of margin on these M3 trades. And uh, the only downside is that you have to remember not to let these calls expire <laughs> and be without a call. And I know that because I did it, and I had a very unhappy weekend waiting for the market on Monday. In fact, I went and bought futures or sold futures to uh, try to neutralize my delta a little bit because I didn't have any calls. Turns out it was okay and then I bought calls on the Monday and got the trade back on track. But this is how I usually start out in M3.
0: Right, so basically a little bit negative delta. uh, Yeah. And you probably only have, what, about 20,000 in that maybe, right? 22,000.
1: Yes, 23,000, 23, yeah, for 10 a ton lot, And in fact, it doesn't go up much over the life of this trade, and most of the time you can manage it so that it doesn't go up much more than that on almost any M3 trade. So let me go forward to the first trade, and let me see if I can take it. So April twenty-six. now... My numbers are good. There's nothing to do to this trade. I'm starting to get a little profit. Nothing is threatened, nothing to do really. But on this day, I rolled the call up one week. And I did that because I could do it for a credit. I got about 30 cents credit for doing this. And uh, even brokers will tell you you can't do that. It doesn't work. In fact, Options Express won't even let you enter this trade as a good deal counsel for a credit. Uh, It has to be even or debit. (laughs) <laughs> but they fill it, <laughs> but but they will fill it, yeah. So um, if I uh, if I click show today's trade, you can see it simply rolled it up, and I did get about thirty cents credit. It doesn't fundamentally change the numbers, doesn't change P and L, doesn't change the trade or what you do. Um, and now I've now I'm a week out, and I actually got a credit. That takes right. more margin out of the trade. It right? does, I'm yeah, on a little bit. I uh, know
0: David Heinzen talks about this a lot. He's, and I do the same thing. I look for op- if I'm in weeklies, I look for opportunities to roll them. And you can do it very yeah. efficiently.
1: Yeah. And so now, uh, not only do I have a good till cancel order in to roll it for a credit in case it fills, but every day I watch the next week and maybe the next two weeks. Because sometimes you can even get a credit going two weeks on this roll in certain conditions. You can get filled okay. for that. Okay. Now... I'll go forward. Let me uncheck this again, and we'll go forward to the next trade, May 9th. Um, here's another example. Look at these prices; it's even, and I usually roll for even because it's an opportunity that you should take. Um, we had 11 days ago. I could have waited a few more days before rolling to try to get a credit, but it also could go the other way. So I just took this opportunity as well. I rolled, rolled again for even. If mm-hmm. I put that trade in. Change the delta about one, but uh, my PNL is adding up. Everything's working like it should. Uh, the trades are running great.
0: Now, do you ever roll? Do you ever go higher? Like, like a lot of times, I'll go to a higher strike price.
1: Occasionally, I will. Um, I will look at that because by doing that, you can take thousands of margin out of the trade. And if the market has gone up a lot, uh, it would make sense to do that. The problem is going higher you're getting a little bit closer to the money and it's harder to find time premium that is very low mm. you know, like this one had a dollar 25 and I wouldn't have done it the, the most important thing to me is to have little or no time premium when you roll this okay yeah this trade the market didn't go up a lot but if it's gone up 50 60 points yeah I'll roll it up 20 30 points something like that right cool okay Here we are on May 9th. Now the next, whoops, the next trade happened. Uh, Let me ignore it and go to the next trade, May 12th. Now here, uh, I have to adjust the trade. Uh, Let's look at the graph for a second. We're just below the shorts. That's usually where it happens, somewhere in this area. And being a 10 watt, I've exceeded my delta limit of 50. That's just standard M3 rules. That's nothing special. Right. Vega was still negative but I had to do something. So what I do when this happens as a first attempt is I will roll. I, I don't just start by repositioning the trade downward. I'll, I'll do that if it gets to that point, but I'll start by just rolling down half of my shorts, 10 points or maybe 20. Uh, it gets my delta under control without changing the sign of the delta usually. Vega's still good. It's a conservative trade. It's not an aggressive trade. And the the main reason I do that is because if I now have to roll this down, I still have one single order, a condor, that I can take this trade off with. I don't have a mishmash of verticals and butterflies and stuff. I still have it easy. You know, if I only rolled down half of these, then I'd have some funny verticals to do, and it's just more work, and I don't want to do it. Sure, market keeps going down, then I probably reposition this whole thing down thirty points or something like that. So on this day that's what I did there, and then I exit this trade. Let me just make sure it is that what's in here. No I exited this trade on May twelfth for this much profit on twenty three thousand which is a little over ten percent. In fact, by the time I did that roll down, it took some margin out of the trade as well, so I was only down to seventeen at the time and you know ten percent is good enough for me that's all I wanted and I took it off very successful trade
0: yeah yeah that, that that is fantastic
1: so of course, as we usually do, we look and see what would have happened had we stayed in, and it would have made something like twenty percent if I'd been in only another week, but you know that's that's just a learning opportunity. <laughs> I don't beat myself up for that. I just, you know, I was happy.
0: I think it's, I actually think it's a good idea to take these trades into expiration on paper and actually trade them like you would really trade them just to see what would have, just to see how um, things happen and, and to train yourself for doing that. I think that's, a, I actually think that's a very good idea. But when you do that, you have to document it properly because your memory is going to fail you when you think you won all those trades. <laughs> You would have won them all and, and reality is, you probably wouldn't have, so uh, that's part of the thing we talk about right is, is is your memories are not real, your memories are you choose to remember what you what you want to remember, <laughs> so
1: that's exactly right that's exactly right and uh, while this graph looked perfect, there you know you could just easily stay in this trade um but that was enough for me I think I've said that before that's my favorite place to leave the trade Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm.
0: marble on the hill acceptable profit time to go home
1: <laughs> good yeah good <laughs> so, so uh that's what i had to show here uh how i got to be where i am and
0: right that's fantastic so just a couple a couple of questions here do you think 2500 on a tent lot is enough profit to take the trade off anytime
1: sorry it depends on your goals um I'll be looking at this as percent. Now, how many days were we in this trade? We were in this trade for not quite a month. If I've got 10% in a month, I'll be out of almost any trade. That's a gift horse. You've got to take it.
0: Um, yeah, I. you know, one of the things that I like to say, see if you agree with me, Tim, is that how much you're willing to take for a profit is directly related to how much you're willing to lose when things go poorly.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um,
0: if you're going to have to suck draw down, down 10
1: grand, you don't want to be taking it off at $2,500 profit. So, Right. Yeah. And you also have to remember, if you have set up your trading plan, and therefore the lot size that you're going to trade these, such that a modest win still lets you make your budget for the month, then then you have to take it off. That's your... T- Trading plan, and I think it's a good plan. So I actually will prefer to trade a higher lot size, but take it off earlier and still make my budget, than I would to maybe trade a smaller lot size and hope to get higher percent profits or higher dollar profits, but have less consistency. You know, that's my choice. That's that's kind of how I've set up my trading plan.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I, and I think either way is correct as long as your as long as your losses and your gains are representative of one another.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So,
0: let's see. John Porter's M three has been okay. Sorry, go ahead.
1: Oh, I was just going to. M three has been a very good trade to me, and you might ask, why do I do Road Trip as well? Because they're both butterflies. Sure. Um, Road Road Trip, in my opinion, is semi complementary, or your BWB, same thing, basically. Semi complementary in that. A raging up market or even a grinding up market isn't going to hurt a road trip or you aren't going to work on it as hard as you will have to work on an M3 in a market like that. And so for that reason I call them semi-complimentary. And then to the downside, usually an M3 or I'm sorry, a road trip won't need to be adjusted at the same time an M3 would, depending on where your strikes are. And so you can work on your M3, and then if we keep going down, you can work on your road trip so I don't get slamming everything at once. So to me, it's a good, um, good uh, mix of trades to uh, kind of fit together that way. Yeah, yeah
0: they, uh, they uh, are very similar in one respect but they do have minor differences and they're in different assets. So sometimes the SPX is better priced, sometimes the Russell's better price. You're in two different assets, you're in two different you're in two similar trades but in different assets. So there's a little bit of diversification there as well, I think.
1: Yes. Yeah. yeah.
0: So John Porter is asking if you're still doing if you're still doing the parking trade, which is essentially the yeah. same thing as a road trip trade more or less, right? It's a, it's a a broken wing butterfly type of trade that's somewhat similar
1: well, uh actually parking trade is a out of the money credit spread. That's all it is. It doesn't have a butterfly oh, okay. component to it.
0: Okay, but, uh, you know I should know this cuz David Thomas made it up, right? So,
1: yeah, him and I actually did it together in his living room one day. That's another good story. <laughs> but um uh the thing is you you know that by rolling down your um top longs, you can turn uh, BWB into basically a parking trade by the time you roll them down to your shorts what you're left with is a credit spread or a parking trade right. now, I don't routinely do that with a BWB I'd rather not go that far with it but uh, they're related in that aspect and then of course credit spread is half of a butterfly so yeah <laughs> I don't. I'm. I, I don't still do the parking trade all the time uh, I would do it. I wish I had done one yesterday uh, when the market was down. I even was thinking about it, but I kind of got busy with a lot of other stuff and I couldn't do it. So I do them occasionally, but I don't do them as a mainstay trade anymore. And I don't do them if it is below its 200-day moving average, for example. That's, that's kind of something I've decided on, just, just focus on something else.
0: Right, because it's essentially a trade where you don't want the market to come down or it's more sensitive to a down move. Is that correct?
1: More sensitive to a big down move, you know. Right. Normal down moves I can handle, but but these these fifty point days on the Russell, if you're doing a parking, is going to cause you some trouble. Yeah,
0: right, a little bit of heartburn there. But yesterday was a really good technical entry to go along with uh, with the if you're watching the NDX, like we we're talking on the trade updates, the NDX came nice right into a support level yesterday. So definitely a good, at least a mm-hmm. short-term uh, long trade there. So
1: nice. And look what it did today. It was a, it would have been a great entry. Yeah.
0: Yeah, well, yep. that's fantastic, for sure. All right, well, that's that's great. And uh I guess there's no more questions. Um I'd like to thank you for coming on with us, Tim. We got I uh, hopefully everybody gained a lot of insight. You certainly have been putting a lot of uh, I mean, you've been pretty much uh wanting to be involved in the market your whole life and you finally made it. So, congratulations.
1: Yes. Yes. Okay. I'm fantastic. very happy. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, thanks for having me. And um uh thanks for doing everything you do and um and, you know we learn a lot from you and um it's it 's all helpful
0: well you're welcome we'll continue to try to make we 'll continue to bring good make good traders great traders and uh and like uh, again thanks for coming on okay <laughs> yeah bye